listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what we call here uh, at Chelsea Prez the habits of grace. And what I mean by that are these are spiritual disciplines. Uh, that we do in our Christian life to grow, but more than just to grow. Uh, God is not wanting us to just read our Bible for the sake of reading our Bible and praying for the sake of, of praying. He's wanting to develop a relationship to us. He's wanting to reveal Himself to us, and He's wanting us to come to Him and seek Him out. We took a short break last week when we did the installation of Zach Hicks. Now we're back in our series, and we're on part two uh, of reading your Bible. So we were talking about habits of grace, and it has specific habits of grace. We talked about part one before. And so this is the second part of that uh, that we are going to be talking about. And so the habits of grace, these, these spiritual disciplines, if understood rightly, should bring you more delight in Jesus as you set aside time in a relational way, being the only relationship that won't disappoint you, the only one that will fulfill your needs, whether you know it or not. So let's look at our passage today, uh, and we're going to, this is the same passage we had a couple weeks ago, uh, and we're going to look at the second half of it today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse six, 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, God, give us insight today. Uh, open our hearts and our minds and our eyes for, that we may see through faith, what you would have us to see. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I, uh, a few years back, there's a German commercial fisherman uh, who, ironically, his name was Conrad Fisher. <coughs> Conrad Fisher. It's not spelled like Fisher, but that's what his name is. So he's casting nets on the Baltic Sea. And he's an older gentleman, so he was always used to finding something uh, and various items in his net that wasn't fish. Uh, but this time he saw something in his net that caught his eye. It was this old bottle with a cork in it. And on closer examination, uh, he noticed something inside that bottle, and it looked like a letter. And as he opened it up, it was not just a, a letter, but it had a postcard inside with some stamps. And as far as he could figure out, that requested that the finder of the bottle would send the postcard back to Berlin where the person had sent it from. But here's the thing, the bottle and the message was from 1914. Uh, at this point, uh, he began to try to do some research. Uh, he tried to decipher the note, but the note, the note had been uh, at sea for 98 years. So it, you could, it was barely readable. And, and he eventually turned it over to some researchers around the area who were able to determine the address was from a 21-year-old baker's son named Richard Plates who threw the bottle in the Baltic when he was on a nature appreciation hike uh, in 1914. So the story gets better. 
Platz's daughter, Angela Erdman, who still lived in Berlin at the time, was tracked down by the researchers, uh, primarily using Facebook, of course. Uh, his granddaughter never knew her grandfather Platz, uh, but he was actually her mother's father who died in 1946 at the age of 54. After they did all the handwriting comparisons, all that, they verified that it was in fact her grandfather. And so here she is in her 60s, his granddaughter, and she told the local newspaper that the surprise discovery had inspired her to look through all her family scrapbooks and to try to learn as much as she could about her grandfather. She said it was unbelievable to hold a bottle and see her grandfather's postcard after all this time and she's been on a quest to find out more about him, the person that she never knew in her life. Can you imagine a relative that you had never met and a grandfather that you never knew and now you have a message from them? A, a message that gives you insight to who they were? Uh, a message that gives you clues about understanding a person? Uh, understanding your family? Understanding more about your relationships around you? That up until this time were just a mystery. This story, in so many ways, is what we've been talking about when we talk about the message that we have in the Bible, and that is, ultimately, this is what it is. It's God's revealing of himself in a message. As I said from the beginning, the Bible's never been intended to be read for the sake of being read. Does it give you a moral guide for living? Yes. Does it contain words to live by? Yes. But it's much more than that. It's the God of the universe that created you and sustained you and loves you, that wants you to know all those things so much that he broke into time and space and he sent you a message. You can even call it a love letter from a good father that knows you well and that wants you to know him in a deeper way. So this is what we've been talking about when we talk about the Bible. God, it says in the first part of this passage today that God breathed. He breathed life into the words. The words were living words, and they came from the person of God himself. Today we're going to look at a little more of the practical side of this. We're going to look at some of the practical applications uh, the, of the idea that, that, that the Bible applies to all areas of our life. Two weeks ago we looked at the first point. And that is that the Bible is the breath of God. And so if you look at our outline today, we've already talked about the breath of God. Today we're going to look at the final two points. We're going to talk about the idea of it as a teaching tool. What does that really mean? And then accountability and training. Uh, what does that really mean? So let's look at these today. First of all, let's look at the teaching tool. It says um, there all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, profitable for teaching. What that means here is Paul's saying this. The, the Bible, if it's profitable, then there's a, a return on investment here. Meaning, reading the Bible is worth it, and it adds value to our lives in a broad range of ways. See, the Word of God is designed to help us know ourselves, to know others, but ultimately to know God better. It gives us relational advice. The Bible guides us in making decisions about money and business dealing and investment. Whether, whether you believe it's the, it's the Word of God or not, is that you at least have to admit it gives you a lot of practical advice and moral guidance. It tells us how to take care of ourselves and others. But not only that, it's not just a set of philosophical and theological principles. That's what a lot of people think. It's not just religious guidance to tell you right and wrong. The very, Bible is very practical, down to earth, 
to the point that it teaches us how to flourish as human beings. When we think about teaching, we think about instruction. We think about being given instructions here. Now, I am not a rule follower. If you're around me for any given amount of time, my wife is a rule follower. I am not a rule follower. But for some reason, I do like reading instructions. Uh, how many of you here today, when you get something that needs to be put together, when you get it out of the box, how many of you actually uh, want to read the instructions first? Okay. All right, this is, this is not a pecking order here. <laughs> this is two different philosophies, and they're both just as valid. All right, how many of you just get the parts out and start putting it together? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was like that. I rarely saw him read the instructions. I mean, he had to be in really bad shape putting something together before he would even open that little folder with the instructions inside. And unlike, but mainly because this, unlike me, he, he has a mechanical mind. Uh, but the funny thing is, every time there are always a few nuts or bolts or parts left over, and he always said the same thing. Well, I guess they packed a little extra. <laughs> When we're talking about instructions, it's one thing to have some something. <laughs> it's one thing to have, and uh, in, in, you know, it's one thing to have a set of instructions that give you this detailed information. But God's teaching, and, and when the Bible talks about instruction, it's it's a little bit different. See, rarely does the Bible. I mean, when you look at it, rarely will it tell you what to do in all the specific situations in life. The instructions of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible, is more principles to live by and make decisions by, thoughts that guide you in being wise and making everyday decisions. Here's the thing about the Bible. The, the instructions of the Bible, they're practical, but they're not petty. They're not petty. They give you structure, but they're not suffocating and they're not stifling. See, we cannot fully understand God and the God's world and the things in the world apart from reading His Word. We just fully can't. We need God's Word to give us much greater understanding of His person and His plans and His purposes. As a pastor, I have so many people all the time that come to me asking me, would you help me figure out God's plan and His purpose for my life? And my first question is always the same thing. How much time have you spent reading His Word? Why do I ask that? Because I see a direct correlation between people that spend time reading God's Word and understand His plans and purposes in their lives. I just do. I also see a direct correlation between people that never open the Bible and are constantly confused about what God may be showing them by way of direction in their lives. The Bible matters. Uh, but there's even more to God's Word than direction, guidance, and instruction. Let's look at the last point. Accountability and training. It also says there in the next part of the verse, it's for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So here's some other ways, but they're different ways. These are, these are what some people might say more in the, in, the, in the negative side of how God's Word brings meaning to our life. It's a little different. See, Reproof and correction kind of go together. Uh, this is the idea of something uh, coming to you and saying, you need to be rethinking this, and you need to correct this in your life. But here's the, 
uh, where we'll be using Bible not, not only to point out sins, it's not just for proof, it says correction too. So this is what I mean. It's more so about taking someone and saying, yes, there's something going wrong in your life, or in your own life saying there's something going wrong, but that's not the most important part. The solution, the correction of that, is the most important part. This is why when you go and you, anytime, you might feel like it's your job to go and approach people, someone, and tell them that they're in the wrong. First of all, you better be doing it for, for more than just the point of proving them wrong. That's not the point. Christianity doesn't need any more of that. We don't need any more people prove, uh, trying to prove people wrong to prove people wrong. Uh, and let's face it, it's easy to point out what's wrong, what's wrong, especially in people's life. The hard part here is what this verse is talking about. The hard part is to come alongside them and help them work out a better way. That's the hard part. I mean, the Bible is clear about how we do this. Uh, Matthew 7 in the Bible talks about the idea of that we are never to point out something in someone else's life when we're having the same problem. We're to examine ourselves first and then begin to approach the other person. And here's where people fail. Here's where people fail in, in two ways around this idea. First of all, uh, many of us, I feel like, don't care or don't love each other enough to actually confront and correct the people around us. Usually we think this, and we use it as an excuse. Who am I to say anything to correct another person? Or some of us point out where others are going wrong by way of coming at them in a condescending manner as if they've got it all together. Ideally here, we would all read the Bible and be in constant examination of our lives, repent for what we were doing, and by God's grace, make the proper adjustments. In this section, the words correction and training uh, actually have to do with conduct, and this, this idea of correction here in the original language has to do with just straightening something out. Like you would align a car, if it's wobbling or it's pulling to the side, straightening something out where it's not pulling you the wrong way. So God's word is useful in a practical way and those who accept correction will begin to find their lives straightening out more and more over time by the grace of God. And the Bible plays a foundational role in that. I would hope that I would spend time in the word where, where I'm repenting and correcting myself far more than the people around me are having to do. This idea of training, this is interesting. Uh, it's similar to teaching, but it's more of a practical application. If you haven't heard by now, Rick in our church has a new lab puppy named Buck. <laughs> and uh, of course it's named Buck, if you know anything about deer hunting uh, uh, Rick here. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, this dog is the cutest stinking puppy I have ever seen. But he's still a mischievous puppy. They all are. <laughs> and if, you, if you've been around labs at all in your life, you know they need a lot of training. But they can be the smartest, most obedient, loyal companion of a dog that you would ever own. And this is why if you're around a good lab owner like Rick, it seems like they're a little hard on puppies at times like Buck. But why? Because he's showing Buck how to act? Of course, but it's much more than that. See, he wants Buck to understand his purpose and his potential. He wants the puppy to live, live a safe life, yes, but also live a full and satisfying life as the grown-up dog that he was designed to be. See, from the Bible, 
We do learn what's true. We do learn what's right and wrong. God does want us to be safe. But it, it, it is about correcting wrong and how to apply truth. But if you miss this last point, the end goal of all of this, why would we even do that in the first place? It's far more important than the means. So what is that purpose? What is the goal of all this correction and training and, and, and teaching that we talked about here? Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See, Paul ends this section by saying that God wants his people super equipped by the word for the world and for life. Meaning he wants them to reach their full potential for which he has created us. He wants us to thrive and flourish as human beings. This training and this correction, this repenting, all of this is not to become less of a human being. It's become more of a human being. Because his principles are not just about following rules. His word is, is, is what's best for us. And we're most satisfied when we're spending time with that and learning how to be most fully human. Let me end by reminding you something that we discussed a couple weeks ago. See, the words of the Bible, they are life-giving and they are practical because Jesus was life-giving and he was practical. See, Jesus wasn't some just nice guru throwing out a bunch of philosophical mumbo-jumbo. He was relationally and practically the Son of God and he was a practical and relational person. The words of the Bible reflect that. Because they all point to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is called the Word of God in the flesh, embodied. He is the grace of God incarnate. So full and complete of His revelation is that uh, it's not ultimately about a word thing. It's about a word person. He is the divine and human word that our souls need for survival, strength, and to grow and flourish. Because here's what you got to know, last sentence today. It's not just ultimately the Bible we need, it's Jesus that we need. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you give us words to live by. You don't just throw us out into the world. You didn't just create us and say, figure it out. You didn't just say, uh, work your way up to heaven. Uh, you sent your son, you sent your word, you sent your word in the flesh so that we can build a relationship with you, so that we can find a, a life that's freer, a life of forgiveness, a life where we're not constantly dealing with guilt and shame and beating ourselves up, or a life where we're just not going from thing to thing to thing, hoping it finds us pleasure. Help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to rightly use the Bible, not in a legalistic way, but in a way that gives us life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.